Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a hiker? Yes, I love the great outdoors. Yes and no, because I don't hike every day, but I do go hiking occasionally. No, but I like to play other sports like basketball. A wimpy hiker. This is Voices of Chandler, the podcast, and I'm your host, Melina Suniga. In today's episode, we're going to tap in with Chandler Fire Battalion Chief Jeff West and Wellness Coordinator for the City, Kara Boley. They talk hikes for all of you hikers and non-hikers and even basketball players. They talk about snacks and more snacks, and they talk about how to stay happy and healthy exploring the great outdoors. Welcome to Crushing It with Kara, the segment where we don't sugarcoat My name's Kara Boley. I'm the wellness coordinator here for the city of Chandler. And today with me is Jeff West from Chandler Fire. And we're going to talk about healthy hiking tips. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how you doing today? Good, good. So today we want to talk about some healthy hiking tips. It's hot. So we hear about these rescues going on, the different mountains, and uh, we want to not be in that situation. So... For sure, and I think on our end, we we don't want to have to go and get people. Um, one, they're they're going to be in distress, and then we're going to have to go get them, which is going to put us out there in the elements and get overheated as well. Are you a hiker? I am. So I moved out here in 2015 uh, from Michigan. There was really no hiking to speak of out there, uh, but moving out here, yeah, I've tackled some pretty, I think, pretty difficult hikes, but always tried to play it safe. So my favorite one, I think, so far, I did have a Supai Falls. Oh, you did. A little far from Chandler, but woof, yeah. that was a tough one and, and beautiful, uh, um, but it's a lot of walking and hiking. What time of year did you do that? I did that in the fall. Okay. So it was lucky. A little warm during the day, but not not Well, and you change, right? So you start hiking, you kind of go down until you get the weather change there? A lot cooler at the bottom? Uh, Warmer at the bottom. Oh, okay. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. A little warmer at the bottom, but not bad. Not bad that time of year. What about you? Uh, I actually do like to hike. My wife and I like to go, and a lot of times it'll just be after work, maybe five, six o'clock, especially this time of year, if you can get out to the mountain and catch it and catch the sunset. Um, but we like the local one, Superstition. We've done um, the Flathead uh, over on Superstition. That was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then if we can get out and up north, Payson, Prescott, something like that, and, and do the hike, uh, we love that because, of course, it changes the That's weather a little bit. Yeah. How do you find out your hikes? I um, Well, friends, of course. I kind of ask around and get recommendations. But I use um, – I always go – All Trails is the one I go to, the app or the website. What is that what you would recommend for people? Yeah, or? I heard about All Trails a while back, and it just is so easy to kind of – this isn't a shameless plug for All Trails. We're not <laughs> sponsored in any way. But um, to get on the app and you can look by the map kind of what's around you, and then it will rate the, the trail so easy, medium, hard, and then uh, – I'm not great at this, but people post pictures of the trail, so you kind of have an idea of what the what it might look like if it's uneven or you know a little rocky where you might be slipping around. So, being new when I first moved out here, I didn't know like what's considered hard, what's considered you know moderate or an easy hike. So yeah, that's tough because I don't know how to qualify myself as a hiker, and I work with some very fit individuals who, when I compare myself, I'm like, oh, okay, I might want to do the easy one versus the hard, like. Um, yeah. What's the one up in – oh, Humphreys Peak? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do, but I see the hard rating on there, and I know weather can change and different elements that kind of come into play. Have you done that one? I have not done Humphreys, mm. no. I've found 
on a different hike a few years ago that I get elevation sickness. And oh, so no. I haven't been um, brave enough to tackle that one because it's so high. <laughs> oh, that's actually a good point when you talk about this hiking segment here. But like, what, what do you mean when you say elevation sickness? Like, um, I got to about 10,000 feet and just felt like I was getting the flu. Super, wow. super tired, nauseous. Just really, for me, it was mostly feeling just super nauseous and like achy, like I was getting the flu. It was, I had, and I had never been in, I mean, I'm from Michigan. We're not really, there's not any tall mountains yeah. there. And I had never been like skiing in Colorado or anything. So I had no idea that wow. I would have that reaction. Interesting when you say that, because especially here in Chandler, I mean, we're not really at elevation, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember specifically, but so to go to a mountain, which most of ours here, like certainly in Flagstaff, I mean, I think you start at 9,000 feet mm-hmm. and then climb up to 12,000. Yeah. You wouldn't have encountered that certainly in Michigan. No. I'm from Massachusetts and there's mountains there, but not comparatively what I would say like here. And I was a kid, so I've been out here about 30 years and didn't hike a ton, what I would consider like hiking out here. Yeah. But man, what a difference like from there to here, like you said, just elevation. And then certainly this time of year, the heat. Yes, the heat. Yeah. That's what I wanted to kind of talk to you about, the heat and then hiking in the heat. Like I like I mentioned, we you know, we see the rescues, people kind of getting in a little over their heads. And I don't think anyone intentionally sets out, obviously, for that to happen. But what kind of tips do you have for even like if you know you're going on a hike tomorrow or in a couple days, you have any things that you would recommend people do to kind of prepare? Yeah, I, I think um, preparation is kind of my profession, right? We're always ready and hopefully the emergency never happens. Um, but we do see a lot of visitors here because certainly in the wintertime, it's more comfortable and there's no snow. So you can go and hike. And uh, when we had the football games and all the bowl games that were local, we'd have people that would come out. Certainly no mountains in Chandler, but we, our technical rescue team is actually first due uh, for South Mountain on the south side. And so a lot of hikers out there. But they come from maybe Michigan and mm-hmm. it's a little warmer, a little drier and they haven't prepped and they're on vacation. And so they do these trails and they get out and realize quickly that uh, they're in trouble. So for us, even when we come to work, obviously in our profession, we could be in a fire, we could be doing an extrication uh, from a vehicle on the street when it's you know 110 out, mm-hmm. it might be 150 on the street. So uh, hydration and preparation is a huge part of our profession. And so um, what I would encourage people that are going hiking or like you and I, if we were gonna go hike, tomorrow and I knew it was going to be 100 degrees by 8 a.m. It's obvious to say hydration, but what does that mean? Yeah. Long and slow hydration. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, little bits over a long period of time or, you know, up your quantity as you get closer. Uh, Rest before. You kind of mentioned shoes earlier, which is funny. I'm a typical guy, I would say, where uh, (laughs) preparation in that aspect, I'm going to go buy some new shoes on my way there and hike (laughs) and wonder why I have blisters everywhere. And then I think your, your proper diet, which maybe you can touch to certainly a lot better than I can about how you'd prep for a longer workout. You know, this isn't a 10 minute high intensity interval training. This is actually potentially a couple hours of hiking. And so my part, preparation, rest, meaning sleep, and and maybe take it easy the day before and hydration are going to be the biggest things along with your, your diet. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I was kind of trying to, um, as I had been looking at hiking and doing longer hikes, even in the in the hotter months, am I drinking enough? Am I, you know, do I need to bring electrolytes? Do I want to do, you know, and a lot of times like your noon tablets or some of those little oh, yeah. electrolyte tablets have sodium as well. So I was kind of thinking about, you know, you don't want to do too much water and then your sodium's depleted. So it's finding that like right balance. So I think definitely the longer hikes, um, using an electrolyte replacement, either either it's going to be Gatorade or 
you know, the G2, if you like it, or the tablets, they're lighter to carry. So drop the tablets in some of your water. Um, But just being ready for that. And it's unlikely you're going to overdo on electrolytes. So even if you were just worried you're, you know, you're you're likely not using too much, you're going to be sweating a lot. If you're hiking, whether it's day or night, it's going to be hot. It's hot right now. (laughs) Yeah. And if you think about just uh, the amount you sweat. So uh, if you're not replacing all those electrolytes, I mean, that's what our heart works on, Mm -hmm. sodium specifically. And so the more you sweat and that's coming out and you've seen people that have been sweating for a long time and they got the crusty white thing on their hat or on their shirt. And you're like, hey, that's a lot of sodium (laughs) you've been ingesting. Um, But it is important to replenish that because your body kind of works on all those and and, uh, without it. You depleted and I've seen people that have done long long distance races whether mm-hmm. it's biking running or whatever that sodium level gets low and you start your mentational change even and so yep. I think that's really important um, so whether you're the casual hiker out there uh, you know on vacation here or someone who does it all the time mm-hmm. I think you're gonna be more aware of what the changes are in your body yeah absolutely I, I totally agree and it's really easy just to grab those little tablets and pop them in a water bottle easy to easy to carry and easy to have with you which kind of makes me also think about snacks. So I think um, I like I like to eat. So <laughs> I, I'm always, I always have snacks tucked away somewhere, like a little squirrel. Um, but <laughs> I, some healthy snacks. Some of my favorite like snacks that I take with me on my hikes, especially if I know it's going to be a long hike. And even even if it's a shorter, like I'm only going to be out an hour, I still always have something in the car just in case. Because sometimes you just don't know how you're going to feel at the end of a hike, and you don't want to be having the shakes, trying to drive yourself home, you know, just, I always think about stuff like that because you just, day to day, you might feel different where yesterday, you know, you didn't feel shaky at all, but today you're like, oh boy, I'm hungry or I need to, you know, so I always have some kind of food in the car, even if it's a shorter hike and I don't take it with me, but easy things to take as far as snacks go. Jerky, get some sodium. (laughs) Sodium, it's not going to melt. So that's a bonus right now, too. (laughs) Nuts and seeds, and I would do the salted. You know, nuts and seeds, those little packets are easy to carry or dried fruit. Trail mix, people like to take that. I always just caution if it's got chocolatey things in there, chocolate chips or whatever. I made the mistake once at the Havasupai Falls hike, actually. You know, I was like, oh, I don't, we're not going to have coffee. (laughs) I know, bad habit, right? But (laughs) I put my um, dark chocolate covered espresso beans in my backpack and they made it like for a minute. But when I really went to, you know, get them out and take, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it was a giant mess in the Ziploc bag, which I did not think about and then I was really sad because I did not have that little bump of caffeine. (laughs) Kara did write in her bio that she has a crazy love for fitness and food. She really loves food so you can only imagine how long her and Jeff talked about snacks. I'll sum it up for you. Aside from the trail mixes and salted peanuts, they also mentioned fruit that you can slice up beforehand and place in Tupperware, oranges or cuties, bananas are also always a good option, pretzels, packaged olives, and canned chicken and tuna that are super easy to travel with and don't need to be refrigerated. Although, I wouldn't bet on it with a tuna. Also, if you're like me and you take a Jansport backpack with no cushion on the back and you have a million and one things inside that that are rubbing on your back the wrong way, take some icy hot. And that's just you being cautious. I promise you, you will not regret it. But aside from the icy hot and the snacks, what do I pack in my bag? Like, you know, in my if I'm taking a little either like the fanny hiking fanny pack or if I'm taking my backpack, my hydration pack. What about from a safety perspective? What do you what are your kind of go to things? Yeah, I think if you know certain things about yourself, whether it's allergies or if you have skin conditions, things like that, 
you just want to be comfortable on your hike. And certainly if it's a longer one. So I get made fun of, but I'll throw an extra pair of socks in because mm-hmm. I think if you get wet socks or sand in them or something like that, it's just going to be super uncomfortable for the long term. So pretty easy fix where you can put that in. It's light and socks can be used for all sorts of other things too. So if you get a cut, you can use that to kind of put pressure on there. Yeah. And then any ointments, or if you know, like I said, allergies earlier, if you're allergic to bee stings or something, make sure to carry your EpiPen if you're familiar with that. Uh, Benadryl is not a bad idea. And again, small, lightweight things that you can put in there. But I do think just the maintenance of your wellness, since the yes. you know, right up your alley there, <laughs> water, extra water, and everything like you added about the snacks too. Yeah. So, um, you know, some people keep rope or belts or something like that in their mm-hmm. backpack that can be used as tourniquets if you need um, kind of an advanced level thing. But if you're, you know, you're going to be out for a longer period of time, I think it's good to do some research on some first aid a lot of those things you can throw in your backpack pretty easy. Yes, the little, mm-hmm. I know we've done some longer hikes. I've had the small, just the little small kits, yep. the little first aid kits with your oil, like neosporin and yep. got a little bit of ga- gauze wraps and yeah. stuff like that that don't take up a lot of space. Yep. But I just feel like you never know. Luckily, I've never, other than a few blisters here and there, I've never needed anything more than that. But I always do Band-Aids and... I've learned bug spray, sunscreen, like, you know. Oh, yeah. It doesn't take long once you realize, like, okay, I don't want to chafe anymore, exactly. so I'm going to bring tape or something where I can protect my skin against my shoe or my shorts yes, or something like that. Yes, yeah. Moleskin, I feel like moleskin oh, yeah. kind of works if you can carry a little thing of that. Even just, like, Vaseline. You can do a lot with Vaseline. It's good for your lips, and if you get a blister, you can, you know, put it on the blister area. So I'd say any good household has that kind of in the cupboard yes. somewhere, right? <laughs> Whether you use yes. it or not. Yeah. It's always a good a good go-to for <laughs> sure. Quick synopsis. Being well-rested, making sure you have plenty of snacks, hydrating slowly and steadily, having those electrolytes handy, and taking more water than what you think you will really need are on Kara and Jeff's pre-hike checklist. So Kara talks a little bit about what the recommended amount of water is, And although it changes seasonally, a good rule of thumb would be about three quarts per hour. That's a little less than a gallon each hour. But let's say you take all the snacks, you're staying hydrated, you slept your eight plus hours, and all of a sudden... Oh, I'm in trouble. I need to call. What What are some signs? Like, what are we looking for? Or or in our friends that we might be with or family members, what are some of those signs of, like, overheating or heat exhaustion? Or Yeah, great point, because I think um, it's easy to prep. Well, I say it's easy, but we have to do it, right, put it into action. So before that, when you're doing everything right, hopefully, um, but sometimes we get out there and you get yourself into a situation where – man, I don't, I'm not feeling well. Like you were saying with the altitude sickness, that's a new thing. I I don't, I'm not familiar with this. What is this? Mm -hmm. Am I sick? Um, But heat emergencies, if I can just talk about three of them. Um, When you're out there and you start feeling, man, I'm sweating maybe more than I normally do. I'm getting cramps and I typically don't, or maybe you are prone to cramps. Um, But that can have to do with your electrolyte balance as well, your diet. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting to cramp, that's an early, early sign of dehydration. So that's your body going, hey, knucklehead, maybe off the mountain or slow down or, or stop and rest for a little bit. At least for me, when I know when I start cramping, that's not just going to go away. So even if you hydrate, it's probably a good time to turn around instead of getting deeper into your hike. Um, so that's just something that you can be aware of. The next progression of that is heat exhaustion. Again, sweating, you might start getting nauseous, vomiting even. Uh, that makes it even harder for you to recover because now you can't ingest the water that you need because your stomach's already like, hey, I'm done with this, you know, uh, you might be past that point a little bit. So that certainly is you got to get out of the heat, rest, take a break, the day is done. So, and then beyond that is heat stroke, which 
if you've heard of that, that's certainly like a 911 situation. Mm-hmm. So if you're up on the mountain or on any trail and you and you notice, man, I'm not sweating anymore. I feel foggy. Or maybe your friends are telling you that, man, you're kind of speaking gibberish. You may not even know. Yeah. But if I'm with you and I notice that you're behaving differently and those other signs and symptoms, you're super red, um, maybe even a fever, like not that you'd have a thermometer you'd pull out there and say, <laughs> hey, let me check your temperature. But I think that's something you need to be aware of. And that is a call 911. Um, and we were talking earlier, you know, all trails, maps, 911, what's that look like? Because sometimes you're not in cell service mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've had good luck with um, texting, which uses a different frequency or some somebody who's more techie than I am out there would know exactly <laughs> how it works. But you can text and, and oftentimes maybe you've sent it to a friend and it won't go through, won't go through. And then later you noticed it did. So similar where it's kind of in the queue and that might go through. So you could always, if, if you can't get voice, you can try and send a text to a friend or family member, or a lot of people don't know that there's a text to 911. Yes, I did not know that. Yeah, so you put 911 in the send, and you text it, and it goes to a dispatcher locally. And so um, I encourage you, do a little research on what that looks like, because we do have it here in the Phoenix area. And so it's such a cool service. If you're not able to talk uh, or out there hiking, you just, man, I need help, and I don't know what my lifeline is, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that brings up a, a good point, because sometimes you are here, you know, you had service 10 feet ago and now, you know, something you're in a different spot or in between rock walls or who knows what, just a different area and you don't have service. So I think that's awesome. I was so happy to to learn about that 911 texting option for sure. Yeah. I I think it's a, it's a neat thing. It's a great service now, just letting everybody know that it's out there. Hey, we've all had those funny moments where you're trying to get cell service walking around with your you know, like a sundial, like trying to, <laughs> trying to find some kind of service. Holding it up. Yeah. Get on top of that rock. <laughs> the other thing, too, I guess, just on that same topic is if you do hike alone, letting someone know, oh, yeah. right, where you're going, what time approximately, what time you think you're going to be back, just letting someone know. Sometimes I do like to hike alone just mm-hmm. to have the peace and quiet to myself, but certainly letting someone know where you are, when you're expected to be back around, just, just in case anything did happen, then someone knows when to expect you and would kind of, it would raise an alarm if you're not back when they thought you were supposed to be or close to. Yeah. And it sounds silly and over the top, but you could always even just write a note on your countertop. So some people live alone and mm-hmm. that's just, they just like to go do that, right? Yeah. A Sunday morning, they're going to go and hike and, Hey, I'm going to try a new hike today. That's maybe out in the woods a little bit, a little alone. We need some, need some time. Um, you write a little note, God forbid anything were to happen, but at least then somebody would be able to know, hey, this is where they were last time and might give you a better chance of survival if yeah. anything were to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Great recommendation. Because we do live in Arizona where it is hot with a capital H, 24-7, 365. We experience super hot and warm weather year round for the most part. So whether you're planning on taking a hike mid-July and cook in the sun like some baby back ribs or in the fall when it's a little bit cooler, do your research. Take some snacks and stay hydrated and healthy. Now that you're out and about on your hike, you might encounter some friends on the way. And while it's unlikely that you bump into someone you know, unless you invited them there at the same time, on the same day, hiking the same trails, I'm not talking about a human friend. While you're out discovering Chandler's great outdoors along the way, it's really likely that you see reptiles. And okay, it's not going to be a crocodile, but you might encounter a lizard, a gecko, maybe even a tortoise or a snake. Ariane Francis over at the Environmental Education Center introduces Come Wander. 
Hello, everybody. It's Ariane Francis again with Come Wander. Today I have Jill from Rattlesnake Solutions. She's going to introduce herself and share some information about some fun wildlife that you would find out in the desert. Hello, Jill. Hey, Ariane. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. So, Jill, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started teaching classes on reptiles? All right. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess that uh, we could probably just break it down to I am a giant uh, reptile nerd. I absolutely love snakes. Um, funny story, I was actually um, really afraid of them when I was young. I was, uh, you know, a little girl. I was terrified of them. I loved animals, but I was really afraid of snakes. And um, I was in a uh, little pet store that I'd always go to see the bunnies and the dogs and cats and stuff like that. And um, the owner had recently acquired a, a, a boa. And he was standing at the front of the store in front of the door with this giant boa. And I was stuck <laughs> in the back of the store because I was terrified to cross his path. And, um, you know, believe it or not, especially, you know, when people realize that I work with rattlesnakes for a living, they think, you know, I'm just some adrenaline junkie and I could not be farther on the opposite end of that spectrum. I hate being afraid of anything. I will always try to get myself over that just because I don't like being afraid. And I just, I made myself go up and, um, you know, pass him. And so that was good. And I just kind of was thinking about it. I was walking home and I'm like, you know what, I, I need to touch it. And the next, you know, the next time I went in there, I asked him if I could actually touch it. I ended up holding it and I have been obsessed ever since. And, you know, I just, after that, I, you know, when I grew up, I started working with pythons and boas and all that good stuff. And I just, I love it, and I love, you know, talking to kiddos and, you know, the ones that are afraid, getting them over that hump, and the ones that aren't afraid, just nurturing that passion and, and helping that grow. Wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, kind of inspirational if you think about it. It seems like it's much more than, than reptiles, you know, so that's pretty cool that you can kind of conquer your fear and help others do the same. So because of our climate, what type of reptiles can people expect to see if they find one maybe in their backyard or maybe at the environmental education center or maybe if they were on a hike? Well, um, you know, I mean, it kind of depends. You know, I mean, Arizona is just fantastic for reptiles all throughout the state. You know, we just have, you know, get the, the dunes down in Yuma um, that are just right above sea level and then all the way up to Humphreys Peak, you know, which is, you know, 12 plus thousand, you know, feet above sea level at our highest point in Arizona. And actually Humphreys Peak is the only place in Arizona where you will not find reptiles. Um, so everywhere in between you can find, you know, snakes and lizards and um, all kinds of different, all kinds of different stuff. You know, we have um, 15 different species of rattlesnakes in Arizona here alone, um, 17 if you're counting subspecies. And that is just fantastic. I mean, if you are a snake nerd, it is the place to be because, I mean, we just, the diversity is fantastic. Um, but I would say, you know, if we're if we're just concentrating, let's say on the Phoenix Valley, um, you know, we have six um, rattlesnake species that you could find here. Um, and in in your area, you know, at EEC, you can definitely, I would say, still find, um, you know, gopher snakes, coach whip, uh, king snakes, that kind of thing. Those guys have adapted really well um, to, you know, that suburban suburban life type thing, whereas rattlesnakes haven't really done that, which is which is good for us. You know, they have been pushed out. That part's a bummer because they are they just keep getting pushed out and pushed out. 
um, but they haven't adapted and they tend to stay on the outskirts. So the odds of seeing a rattlesnake at EC is probably really, really, really rare. But you could definitely find them, you know, on the outskirts of Gilbert and stuff like that, you know, just being in the backyard. You find diamondbacks, um, Mojaves, we find those out there all the time. And just depending where you go in the valley, you'll find different species of rattlesnakes. I might be aging myself here, but I grew up in the city of South Tucson, and I remember as a kid going to watch baseball games at the nearest baseball training stadium, which was at the Kino Sports Complex, where the AAA affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Sidewinders, would play. The Sidewinders moved to Reno, Nevada in 2008 and changed their name to the Aces, But what I remember the most from that team was the logo. It was a bronze brown rattlesnake forming the word sidewinders with its body outlined in black with teal markings on the back wrapped around a baseball bat. Back before 2008, where I lived in the city of South Tucson, there wasn't a Walmart within our zip code. What I'm saying is that we were in the outskirts of town, and when I think of what Jill and Ariane are talking about, I'm surprised that I never came across any type of snake in my childhood home. But what could I have done if I did happen to come across one of Arizona's reptiles? Well, you know what? I mean, more than anything, I mean, just if you're if you're out on a hike and you're just, you know, you, you're running into them and in, in, in their home, and that's kind of a good way to look at it. You know, if mm-hmm. if you're out in their areas and you run into them, give them their space, and and that's the best thing you can possibly do. For one, I mean, we don't only have rattlesnakes here, but we do. You know, we have you know fifty five, sixty plus, um, you know, different species of snakes living in Arizona. Um, So it's really hard if you don't work with them all the time, you know, to know what you're looking at and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, most of the time people don't know what they're looking at. So what I tell people is always assume that it's an animal you shouldn't touch because you don't know, you know, what you're looking at. Um, So when you're out there, just, you know, take pictures. If you want IDs, definitely take pictures. You can send them to us anytime. We love doing that. We we do IDs 24-7 just to tell you, you know, hey, yeah, that's awesome. You just ran into a speckled rattlesnake. That's a, that's a really cool thing or, um, you know, just whatever you're looking at. You know, and with the tortoises, I bring this up just because you, you had um, you mentioned one of those guys. Mm-hmm. The tor- our Sonoran Desert tortoises are actually a protected species. So it's actually against the law um, to touch those guys. Um, but also their main defense mechanism is obviously they're going to pull into their shell. Um, but if any, if anything goes beyond that, say the shell thing just isn't working and the predator, which is what that tortoise, tortoise thinks of us, that's all any animal sees when we're coming at it. We may have the best of intentions, but we're still scaring that animal. So, um, you know, a tortoise's natural defense mechanism, if the shell thing doesn't work, is they are going to just pee and poo and go potty all over themselves and you to make themselves get as nasty as possible so that that predator will go away. And you got to figure when, an, when a tortoise does that, we don't get a lot of rain in Arizona. Yes, we're, we're luckily having a nice monsoon this year, but we just had two years of drought where we barely got anything. So for a desert animal to completely deplete itself of all of its hydration can almost certainly mean a death sentence to that animal. So it's very important with animals like that you don't you don't touch it. So why do you go around? What do you what do you like most about teaching the classes, and what do you hope the kids and maybe you know and their family um, hope that they take away from it? 
Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it all goes back to just really letting people know what these animals are about. You know, you don't, uh, you don't hear a lot of good things about snakes. The rattlesnakes mm-hmm. in particular, people are terrified of them. And because of that, they're often killed. Um, and, you know, the behavior of these animals is so far off from what we've always been told. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Colorado, you know, tons of prairie rattlesnakes. And, um, you know, my grandpa and uncle were avid hunters. They'd kill every single one they saw because they just, they thought they were aggressive animals that were going to be coming at you, just trying everything in their power just to kill everything around. And that it, it's just, they're not, they're not aggressive animals. They're a defensive animal and they're a defensive animal that, that can defend themselves aggressively. You know, they don't have arms, they don't have legs. So luckily they do, they have their little fangs and that that's their only, that's their only defense against something that's really coming at them. Um, but they're not going to actively come at you. It, it would be like me, um, you know, picking a fight with a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. It's, you know, but I mean, say I do encounter a T-Rex, I'm going to defend myself with every being of my soul, with every, you know, tool I got in the book, just like any animal would. And, and I try to get them to kind of see, like I always use the reference to, you know, bunnies, people love bunnies. Everybody loves them. They're cute. They're adorable. I challenge you to watch somebody go out and grab a a wild rabbit. They are going to tear you up. I mean, they will bite, scratch, kick. I mean, they are going to just go nuts on you because they think you're a predator trying to eat them. Hold up, hold up, hold up. In no way are we challenging anyone to go and try and pick up a bunny, wild rabbit, or any reptile. Let's all just take Jill's word for it. But okay, back to the interview. And that's all that snake is doing. And so when that's what I love about it, when we can, you know, get in there and really dive in with these kids and parents or adults, you know, whatever the event is that we're doing, and we can really get them to see that, you know, you have a lot of bad information. It's not your fault. It's what we've all been taught from day one but it's not accurate information and we're able to get them over that hump to where, again, you might not love them. You might not want them in your yard. Totally get that. But you respect what they're doing for us out there as far as, you know, rodent control and um, they're just trying to exist. You know, that's, that's all they're doing out there. They, they want nothing to do with us. It is snake meat. I know. He's like, oh, you smell nice. Do you want to be my friend? (laughs) You know, I got to be part of one of your presentations. It was great. Um, I wanted to know, do you have a favorite part about teaching classes, or how about a memorable experience? I know watching the kids' eyes light up is pretty cool. It is, and, and, and that is definitely my jam. I love doing the kids' stuff. I will do adult stuff all the time, too. I, li- I like that, but if I, can, if I can get in there with the kiddos, man, that's my, that's my favorite thing. Um, we're the creature feature for uh, the Desert Botanical Gardens every year. Mm. Um, we go out there a couple times, and we'll just, we bring out a full display, and they get to come up and see everything. And, um, you know, there's this one little girl, and she was just absolutely terrified. And I totally valued, you know, what her parents were doing. They actually came to the Botanical Gardens that night just because we were the feature. She, they were trying to get her over the hump. So we grabbed the tortoise, and, you know, we went to the other side of the room where the snakes weren't, you know. And over the course of the next couple hours, we were able to inch the sweet little thing up to the table to where she could actually, you know, look at the snakes. And um, 
it was just it was amazing. By the end of the night, we had not only did we get her up to the snake. I have this one little um, a speckled rattlesnake. Her name's Misha. She's absolutely beautiful. But by the end, I was able to get this sweet little thing up to the table to take a look at at Misha, and she's just looking at her, and she was just so amazed. And and that's the cool thing because my animals have been on display so much. You know they're calm. They're just sitting. They're not. They're and they're just doing what rattlesnakes do. They just coil up. They sit there and don't do anything. They're lazy. And I left that night with you know her. She had went to the you know she had went to the kids table over and was coloring. And she actually drew me a picture of Misha and brought it to me. And mm-hmm. I have it in my snake room. It's one of my favorite things ever. She had my heart. I'm like, okay, you can have my car, my house, whatever. I love you. So. <laughs> and she might, she might be a future Jill, you know? Someone exactly. Who knows? So my first thought, if I were to spot a snake, wouldn't be to go up to it and take a picture of it. But if you are more calm, cool, and collected than I am, then Jill is talking to you. When she says you can text them, she's talking about her team at Rattlesnake Solutions. You can go ahead and just Google them and you'll find their number. And if you want to attend this or any other classes at the EEC, you can find their events calendar by searching for the Environmental Education Center. It's actually a super cool building and they actually have reptiles inside that you can see. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by the City of Chandler. Make sure you check back next week for a new episode. And if you want to tap in with our social media, you can find us on all platforms through the city of Chandler and ChandlerAZ.gov website. Take it easy, y'all.